more people every day are ditching animal products, embracing plant-based foods, and speaking up for what matters. With my experience as an international instructor for vegan nutrition and an award-winning author, I interview experts, innovators, and celebrities about the global movement towards a plant-based future. Do you want to learn how to combat the injustice in our food system affecting your health, the animals, and the planet? Well, you're in the right place. It all starts here with eating like you give a damn. Welcome to the Eating Like You Give a Damn podcast, the place to discover your passion for plant-based living one bite at a time. I'm your host, Stephanie Harder. I have an amazingly tasty treat for you. Because this episode is chock full of expert advice on eating plant-based affordably, strength, fitness, and agility at any age, and sex. Yes, my friends, we get to learn some very interesting things about sex and how it can be taken to new heights when you're eating like a vegan. This isn't bait, you guys. This is real science, and it applies to both men and women. Now, I know the show is labeled explicit already, but you've probably figured out by now that it's because a little bit of profanity pops up from time to time as we're having these real and raw conversations. So on this one, I'll just say that if your young kiddos are in earshot, I'll let you know that we don't get too explicit or raunchy on the subject of sex. We keep it clean and informative. But depending on how young your kids are or how sensitive you are with them on the subject, it may not be suitable for young ears. That being said, I'm excited for you to hear this interview with the multi-talented author and competitive runner, Miss Ellen Jaffe-Jones. Ellen is a prolific author of six vegan health and fitness books, including Eat Vegan on $4 a Day, Vegan Fitness for Mortals, and Vegan Sex. She's a nationally ranked sprinter and recently won the gold at the National Senior Games in the 4 by 100 meters in the women's 65 to 69 age group. She has placed in 173 5K or longer races for her age group and competes in everything from the 50 meters to the marathon. Rare for anybody, vegan or not. She's a certified personal trainer, a running coach, and a sought-after leader. And her family was part of the breast cancer gene studies. And she's the only adult female in her family without it. In this interview, we also talk about why Ellen thinks that many athletes drop out of their competitive sport as they get older, and the secret to maintaining high energy and mobility while reducing your risk of injury as you age, how races typically end with animal-derived foods as a reward for the competitors. So Ellen decided to sponsor a race with all vegan food. And I think you'll be surprised to hear the community's response to that. Plus, she provides very valuable expert advice for anyone at any age who's starting or continuing a fitness program to remain injury-free and increase your stamina. So, stamina and fitness and in the bedroom, so be sure to listen to the end. Before we get into the interview with Ellen, I want you to know about a book I wrote and released very recently called The Skinny on Eating Like You Give a Damn, How to Embrace a Plant-Based Diet, Combat Injustice, and Be a Rebel for Compassion One Bite at a Time. If you're curious about all the incredible benefits that I'm sure you've heard about by now as it relates to adopting a plant-exclusive diet and vegan lifestyle, 
This book is a practical roadmap to help you get from what you're currently eating to eating plant-based without ever feeling deprived. You get my best health tips, some of which I teach in an online vegan nutrition health coach certification course, as well as how to handle social situations, including friends and family who don't always understand why we would rebel against what's considered normal. Plus, you get my handy downloadable plant-based food guide, and a portion of my earnings go to helping the animals at Florida Rescue Farm. The Skinny on Eating Like You Give a Damn can be found online wherever books are sold or simply go to eatinglikeyougiveadamn.com forward slash book to order your paperback copy today. Now perk up your ears, gals and pals, because it's about to get steamy with Ellen Jeffy Jones. What's up, girl? <gasps> Sky and rain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, that's the beauty of living in Florida, isn't it? I think we may actually be under the same cloudburst at the moment. Yeah, possibly, because you're down in Sarasota area right now. A Lakewood Ranch, yeah. Okay, pretty close. Yeah. yeah. And you're in Tampa? I'm in the Tampa Bay area, so St. Petersburg. Yeah. yeah. So um, I'd really love to start with peeling back the layers from uh, kind of where you were before you discovered a plant-exclusive vegan lifestyle and then what kind of happened to kind of get you to that point. So tell me a little bit about your history, your family history, your background. What did you eat before? And, and then when did you have that moment of realization? Well, for many of us, it, it, what we ate before was like total trash. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it started when I was a little girl. Uh, we grew up from the best, just a block away from the best bakery in St. Louis. They had deep gooey butter cake. They had um, all kinds of different butter cakes, actually. And a morning without one of those was like a day without sunshine. Mm -hmm. So by the time, uh, you know, we also went to uh, Italian restaurants and I had chronic constipation. I actually remembered our pediatrician making a house call several times because I had such stomach cramps. They thought it was uh, appendicitis. And as I look back on it, it was just a bloated stomach from eating all that garbage. And it was usually after a family birthday or something, we went to the best Italian restaurant and uh, just a lot of dairy um, in those dishes. So that's how I grew up. And then it wasn't until I was 28 years old, I was working in St. Louis television in a newsroom and uh, collapsed in the newsroom from a colon blockage, went to the bathroom, just doubled over in pain. Two hours later, they had to cart me out to the emergency room. And the doctor said they had never seen a colon blockage that large in somebody so young, and I would need to be on medication the rest of my life. So at that point, I ran to the health food store, read all five books on fiber, and totally changed my diet at that point, just um, actually adding brand fiber to pretty much everything. And getting rid of the meat at that point. Uh, everybody in the newsroom was kind of, wow, they'd never heard of this. And I remember the station pharmacist who was on the air as a pharmacist and a real pharmacist uh, in his own day job uh, said he started increasing more fiber-filling foods and was just amazing how his chronic constipation went away. And people started sharing things like that with me as you know, I made a little difference in my own community right there. So that was at 28. And the progression at that point generally for people my age was uh, macrobiotic because there was a lot of cancer in my family by this time. My mom, aunt, and both sisters had breast cancer. and We eventually became part of the breast cancer gene studies. Mm -hmm. And that's now for the BRCA1, BRCA2 gene, which are routinely tested. 
And um, it was quite a journey. Uh, Myriad Genetics, which, which conducted the studies, actually flew a refrigerated box to the St. Louis Hospital where my sister was having reconstructive surgery because often with breast cancer patients, you can't access their veins. So they had to do it while she was under the knife. And uh, so they got some blood samples and they placed it in this hermetically sealed box, placed it in my arms, and I drove it out to the airport where a private uh, jet was waiting for the blood samples to be flown back to Utah. So that's kind of how that all started. And then I had you know, finished up my career in TV. I was a financial consultant for Smith Barney. When my children were young, I became a, a accredited La Leche League leader, which is the nonprofit volunteer breastfeeding information and support group. So I would get those middle of the night calls. My baby won't nurse. What can I do? The whole species-specific milk thing. But what was interesting is that La Leche League didn't want to mix causes. So their cookbooks then once the baby was weaned, we're full of meat and dairy. And I'm going like, wait, we've just been promoting our own species-specific milk, and now we're supposed to be drinking another species milk? It just, it never made sense to me, even though it's a fabulous organization, and I love them dearly. But um, there was just that one little detail. So at this point, uh, when I worked for Smith Barney, I put back on a whole bunch of weight, and like many women my age, lots of yo-yo dieting, and uh, the progression was macrobiotic vegetarian and then a vegan and I was vegan before I was married and then uh, when I w started working for Smith Barney it became increasingly difficult to uh, eat anything healthfully because they would um, bring in working lunches and the only choice I got was what topping I wanted on my pizza and then um, at, at night we would often have client dinners at Morton's Steakhouse or places like that of course it was all free food and everybody was all glad about that and I, trying to find something there was, was insane. So I would have the McDougal cups, the little dry soup cups, and add water to that before we would go out to dinner so you know, I wouldn't starve to death. But you know, that's the kind of thing that I had to deal with. So I was up 30 pounds by the time I quit Smith Barney five years later, went into media consulting, and that's where I met uh, Neil Barnard. Well, I met Neil Barnard, uh, who's president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and, um, you know, if life were different, I might have quit all jobs to go work for PCRM because it's just a fabulous organization. And so I, when I started doing media training, I did contact them and say, do you guys need any media training? I know you don't because you don't because you're, you were born eloquent. And uh, he <laughs> said, as a matter of fact, for our staff, um, absolutely, I'd love to do that. So that began a one-and-a-half-year relationship where I was doing media training for them. And on one of those Washington, D.C. visits, I smelled my way into their kitchen, and I said, what are these amazing aromas coming out of here? What's going on? And they said, we are developing recipes for what was to become the Cancer Project, which was PC, PCRM's first massive cooking class, um, where they would teach people all over the country, based on trained instructors like I would become eventually, uh, how to eat a, what we, you know, we were starting to call a plant-based diet. And it was interesting, because if you Google at least this used to be the case. I haven't Googled this in about a year. But if you Google the difference between vegan and plant-based, my name is the first one that pops up because I was quoted in the Tampa Bay Times article saying, we were told to use the word plant-based in our cooking classes. And this was several years after the classes had already started to try and broaden the public perception that a plant-based diet is uh, helpful and you know, vegan was more... Uh, associated with animal rights and oh, we don't want to get people all thinking that we're militant animal rights instructors, but actually sure. we kind of were. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all these dots are so connected.
And certainly, you know, the classes that we taught, one of them was just um, meat alternatives and another one was dairy alternatives. So, you know, we, we went down that path. And along this process, you know, I was kind of percolating in my own mind, you know, what book could I write? And it just came to me in 2008 that there was nobody who had ever crunched the numbers on every single recipe. And what I learned at Smith Barney is that companies like Anheuser-Busch, for example, don't care about being socially responsible. But if you show them how they can save money by recycling not only their own company's cans, mm. but uh, or their other company's cans, but their own as well, if they can save money, then all of a sudden they can put in their annual report, we are socially responsible uh, because we just do all this recycling. So I thought if we could show people how much money they can save by being vegan, they wouldn't care that it was vegan. They would just be more interested in, in saving money. And indeed, you know, in my experience of talking around the country, you know, people will come up to me uh, or they'll see the book on the table and they'll go, well, I don't know about vegan, but you had me at $4 a day. <laughs> so all of my books now have been about busting some kind of myth out there and trying to, um, you know, just deal with all these misconceptions and factual errors that are out there in the universe about veganism. Yes, and it's so needed. And thank you so much for, for actually being a champion for that. Now, I kind of want to go back to when you were um, talking about like your health journey. So I understand, you know, being part of the cancer research with your family, I believe it was your two sisters that were a part of that as well. Right. Okay. Right. And my mom. And, and mom. they actually wanted to, they wanted to exhume dead bodies who, of, of people who had, had died of cancer. And we, we said no to that. But uh, my aunt was also, she had already died by the time the study started. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And then they, you know, they took my blood as well. So I'm, I'm curious to know, so like your, your motivation started out probably predominantly for health reasons. Is that right? And then you later started to connect with maybe something different? Well, it really wasn't all that much later because when I was still in St. Louis, I went to uh, meetings by St. Louis Animal Rights Team. And there we watched the first videos. And actually, then it was undercover film because that's what I did for a living. I was a TV investigative reporter. So I would sneak the camera in my purse. You know, we had a little cutout in the purse and record all these things. Oh, you're um, one of those sneaky ones. Nice. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've won two Emmys in the National Press Club Award for that's my awesome. reporting in, in 18 years uh, in TV. So um, I started going to circus protests back, way back then. So pretty amazing that um, all of this was actually happening at that point in time. And so I, I remember I was young enough that I had one of my babies because I was breastfeeding and I would carry my babies in a baby sling. And I remember going to a protest with babes in arms, literally. And uh, the newspaper, when I, I was still in television, then they did a story because one of the uh, mothers at the school where I went to was a reporter for the newspaper. And she saw me carrying my baby in the baby sling and she goes, like your baby never cries. And um, so the title of the, the headline on the story was wearing your baby in style. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really about how when you keep your babies close, they don't need to cry because you're so in tune with each other. And, you know, to this day that the bonding of breastfeeding and being held close like that, I think plays out in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'm still close to my daughters as a result, I think. Oh, I, I can imagine which is amazing. And I've seen that. Uh, I've seen your beautiful family that you, when you post on social media and you guys just, y'all look very close. It's very nice to see. Thank you. 
in your journey, you, you got into um, running, right? So now you are like this really well-decorated runner and athlete. Now, did that start before you decided to switch over to a vegan diet and lifestyle or... When did that happen? You know, it was all about the, the magical age of 28 where I'm doing the soul searching because doctors were actually saying to me then, you better do some things differently or you're going to end up like everybody else in your family. And I, I really took that to heart. So I, as I've always been a voracious reader. You know, I just had a nat uh, natural curiosity, which why I, which was why I was a reporter. So I started reading the early books of Dr. McDougall and Dr. Barnard a little bit later and just began thinking that at least a vegetarian diet, because that's really what they were promoting back then, not necessarily vegan, uh, was the way to go. And I remember asking my obstetrician about it. He said, well, there is some research that I've seen that shows a low-fat vegetarian diet can be helpful in avoiding breast cancer. So that was magic to my ears. And um, I started running about the same time, but it was really just for recreation. And then in St. Louis, there was a series of races called the Snowball Series that I remember doing five, five Ks in January and February just to keep you motivated through the winter. And at that time, also, I lived in a condo that was right across from the then complex of Monsanto. And believe it or not, it was not at all guarded. There were no gates or anything. It was totally open. But they had, as you can imagine, with all their money, had a beautiful uh, complex back in there, and the campus was just fabulous to run on, lots of hills, greenery, and stuff like that. Um, so it was kind of ironic, considering all the things I've done since. But um, I really wasn't very competitive at all. I mean, I did, like I said, a few races. I never placed. I was really always a middle-of-the-packer. And then it wasn't until I took a long break when my kids were young. I carried them in front packs and backpacks, on bikes, all that kind of stuff. And not until I moved to Florida did I, one day I woke up and there was a shotgun blast out my window and I thought either somebody has been murdered or it's a 5K race starting. And fortunately it was the latter and <laughs> I walked over there and I just spoke to some random woman who I'm still friends with to this day. I said, how do people run in Florida? It's so hot. And she just goes, hey, get up at sunrise. So that's what I started doing. It took me a year of training just on my own before I had enough guts to join uh, a running club training run and most communities around the U.S. even small ones have running clubs and I would encourage listeners to and I always do this with my personal training clients is pick a race even if you don't think you're going to run it at all there are a lot of people who just walk these races and they're just there for the community spirit and the, the nonprofit cause they're supporting usually with their race entry fee and so uh, even as a 5k runner myself sometimes I will take walk breaks and still do very well. Jeff Galloway, who teaches the run-walk method, claims that people do faster in marathons when they use his method the right way. Mm. And I also have, you know, starting and intermediate and advanced programs of all the different sports you might want to take up in vegan fitness for mortals, because I'm really passionate about getting people to do something that motivates them and gets them active. So um, once I moved to Florida and started, it took me another year, somebody said, you know, you really should enter a race. I did that, and I realized that I was actually pretty fast for my age group, and I kind of joke sometimes that I win my age group just because I show up. <laughs> it's not completely true because there are lots of boomers now retiring who hire full-time coaches. I recently competed at the National Senior Games for the third time, and these women, they're really intense. This one woman came up to me the first year I competed, and she goes, 
Ellen Jaffe Jones, cookbook author, right? And I go, uh, yeah, uh, why do you know, who are you and why do you know this? And uh-huh. she says, she kind of sidles up to me and goes, I study all my competition. Oh. And I'm going like, oh, you know, I'm just a weekend athlete here. Uh, I am so out of my league. But um, uh-huh. as it turns out, you know, the training I've done has been okay. And I do remain competitive on the national level as well. So I've now placed in 173 5K or longer races for my wow. age group since 2006, as I like to say, just on plants. Oh, yeah, baby. The reason I do it is because people will actually come up to me at races while I'm holding an, an age group award in my hand, you know, like, like this one. And <laughs> they will say, oh, you can't run on a vegan diet or you can't race on a vegan diet. I'm going like, let's have that conversation. And I do. And I'm always wearing a, a vegan message shirt, usually my bright yellow shirt that is as bright as the one that I'm currently wearing. And it says, eat vegan on $4 a day. And people will come up to me at races and go, yeah, right. Or they'll just look at my chest and stare and go, yeah, how? <laughs> and, that's, and that's everybody asking you that question, right? Not just people in your age category, but everybody, right? Right, right. And the other reason I run, uh, and I have used this as my hashtag, hashtag running is my activism, um, is because when I win my age group, you get up on a podium, usually a first, second, and third place. Sometimes it goes six deep. Sometimes in really big races, it goes 10 deep, but that's rare. But all those other people are having their friends and relatives take their picture on the podium, and they're standing next to this you know, crazy vegan woman who... <laughs> just got first in her age group. So, you know, it's a great way of jumping into the means, the mainstream and putting the message out there that we're not weak, that we're very strong. We have lots of energy and we can be doing this well into old age. And, you know, I certainly see people in my age group, especially women who used to beat me like crazy 10 or 15 years ago, and they aren't even running anymore. And another reason that people athletes like to be vegan is because it is such anti-inflammatory or it's a high anti-inflammatory diet low inflammatory and you don't get arthritis generally speaking mm-hmm. and especially osteoarthritis so i think that's one of the things that's making the meat eaters drop out at this point mm, i see and now uh, and i know that you posted something um you shared something with me not long ago on facebook too because i had commented on one of your recent amazing victories and I was so excited about that. And, and you posted something back and you were like, and this is what we're up against. Tell me a little bit about that photo you sent me. Okay, so that was from the National Senior Games that I did in Albuquerque, New Mexico about um, a few weeks ago. And I got the gold medal. If, you know, if anybody's watching this, I don't know. But yeah. if you can't, if you're not watching it, I'll describe it. It's uh, the gold medal from the 4 by 100 meters at the National Senior Games in and, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting that it was for the four by 100 meter relay. And there were four of us uh, in the relay and there were only two of us. And one of them was my relay partner who actually competed in all six track events leading up to the relay. So that was a total of seven events. So that's the 50 meters, the 100 meters, 200, 400, 800, 1500 meters. In the 1500 and the 800, I got 10th in the U.S., and still was in the top 20 in all of the other track events. So that was pretty cool. But at these races, you know, I'm wearing my Eat Vegan on $4 a day shirt, as I always have. And what do I see is three different women, and there were more of them, but they were just there at this one place where I was watching, that had um, proud meat eaters or proud beef eaters from Texas Mm. and or, or some variation of that. They were all different. So 
what this means is that the meat industry is most likely paying all their expenses to be there and giving them the shirts to wear and is very, very nervous about all of us vegans. And the interesting thing was, I don't know about all the other women, but there was one woman who was in my age group and she only did one event and placed last in it. Now, I don't mean to uh, meet shame or anything like that, but um, it's just interesting to see how this plays out. Now, one might say, okay, well, you're vegan, so maybe the person who got first was a meat eater. I mean, we just don't know. Sure. And usually people do come up to me and say things, but I thought it was interesting. It didn't look like they had recruited uh, top-of-the-line athletes to uh, do their running is basically all I'm going to say about mm-hmm. that. And, uh, you know, it's just – I do it because all I've ever wanted to do is just show that vegans can do this and to dispel that myth that we are weak and that we don't have the energy to do it or whatever other myth is out there. It really was never about winning. It was just about doing it. Sure. And I'm seeing such a rise today in the vegan athletes from, you know, everybody from, you know, like you, well-decorated runners, um, you know, people in the Olympics and uh, bodybuilders that are putting on mass on their bodies. And it's just, it's such a great form of activism to actually be looking the part that a lot of people would like to see in themselves, which is very, that's a very powerful message. And it's, you know, it's interesting to me when I think about like the shirts that you were talking about that they were wearing more than likely probably funded by the, uh, the meat industry You know, from the vegan perspective or somebody that's living a plant-exclusive lifestyle, we were once there. We were once eating those things. We were once eating the meat. And something shifted in our perception or our perspective. And we ended up going the other way. We rebelled against the meat, dairy, and eggs for, you know, there's a variety of reasons today that that we know. And so, but we've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, so to speak. And, and now we want to promote this healthier, more compassionate and kinder way to be and show that there's so much power and strength in that. And it's just very, it's such a curious thing that the, the meat industry would be so threatened by it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all about money. And as I say in Eat Vegan on $4 a Day, that when you understand there's no money in broccoli, there's no corporation that makes it, there's no broccoli association, there's no broccoli lobby, then you have to be your own investigative reporter to figure out the truth about food. And I see this really even worse in the dairy industry. Almost at every race I do, you'll see chocolate milk available, or the worst is that they place a free carton in your hand as you cross the finish line, and it's all I can do to keep from, you know, taking it and throwing it sky high. Mm. Um, But, you know, that's another reason. There was a race I did where I got first in my age group and the only vegan food they had after the race, which is really important because within an hour of intense aerobic exercise or any kind of exercise, you should have a snack of carbohydrates and protein to help repair the torn down muscle tissue, which is normal uh, when you exercise that intensely. So uh, when I got first, I just held up my arm in the air with a banana in it sort of as my protest. And I got you know, so inspired that I decided to become the primary sponsor for uh, our local Lakewood Ranch Boo Run. And uh, I said, I'll be your, your title sponsor if you let me provide only vegan food at the finish line. Because just once in my life, I want to cross the finish line after 40 years of doing this and not inhale charred animal remains. Mm. 
And so they said, sure, we'll take your money if that's what you want to do. And then in addition, I paid out of my own pocket. It went uh, at four in the morning to get food delivered to the race. Um, there's this one at one store we have Earth Fair up the street. And so they have a lot of good vegan options. Some of it's kind of junk food, but, you know, it's stuff the meat eaters and dairy eaters uh, would love. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the cakes and all that. And so I brought all that to the race. And of course it was gone, like within the first 30 minutes <laughs> and people were asking, are you going to do that again? And I'm going like, no, I hope to plant seeds so that other people can do this because it was uh, expensive to do that, oh, I but I wanted to make a point. And I was told by no meat athlete and also PCRM that it was the first time a mainstream existing race, this race, had, this was the 15th year that it had uh, taken place, had ever gone vegan. Mm. So again, the, the thought was just to plant the seeds that we could do this for other races. Because, you know, I love racing. Not only do other runners come out, but their friends and families, and you see all age groups from, you know, tiny children to uh, the elderly, you know, at one, the, the Boo Run, in fact, because it was, um, it was done at night, they had uh, people lined up from a nursing home sitting on the street cheering us on. So, oh. you know, it really does bring out the community, and we have so much of an opportunity to reach thousands of people just in one morning or evening. Yeah, absolutely. And now, and just for listeners, um, what what is the age group that you uh, find yourself in when you're competing? Right now, I'm in the 65 to 69 year old age group. So you go, girl. 66. Yes, girl. <laughs> and you, I, I I feel like just because I've heard other interviews, you embrace that seniority. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've earned my wrinkles, thank you very much. And uh, well, and the funny thing is, I'm looking at your face right now. I know listeners can't see, but you guys, you have to go and check out her photos. I mean, she says wrinkle on her face. When she tells me her age, I don't see a darn wrinkle on my camera at all. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful skin, love it. You're so sweet, yeah. And, you know, in my research for vegan sex, I did find that there is uh, several bodies of research that talk about how the skin, which is our largest organ, is in much better shape, softer, moister than people who don't get as much water as we are taking in from the fruits and vegetables that we eat. You know, forget about drinking a gallon of water a day, which people like Dr. Brooke Goldner say we all should be doing. So, you know, just naturally, we have naturally occurring wonderful skin. Yeah. And that's only, I'm sure, a precursor to what's behind all that skin. Not that, you know, eating vegan is a guarantee that you won't get some of the diseases. We all got to go of something. But it sure does make the standard of living, the quality of life, just a whole lot more enjoyable. Absolutely. I agree. And now I'm really glad that you brought up the research that you did on sex because I want to talk about sex with you a little bit, Ellen. <laughs> um, so you, you, not too long ago, put out a book, Vegan Sex, Vegans Do It Better. I am very curious to hear, how did you get partnered with Dr. Joel Kahn to write that book? Well, Dr. Khan, as you may know, is a cardiologist, uh, has a wonderful vegan restaurant up in Detroit, and really puts his money where his mouth is. And he was traveling the lecture circuit as I was. We were both at the, well, for, let me just say, let me back up a little bit. I got the idea to write the book when I was 62 years old, because up until the age of 62, and I write about this in the book, every single one of my partners had erectile dysfunction. And we were told, oh, it's just a natural part of life, the aging process, take the purple pill. So what if your eyes turn orange? That's just a side effect. Get over it. And, you know, it didn't always work. And 
so there was that and really never thought much about it until I was 62 and I had my first vegan encounter, shall we say. And uh, I don't know if this is a family friendly podcast. I don't know how specific you want me get, to get. Hey, you know what? I would love for you to get as specific as possible because I earned my explicit badge. Um, apparently, the word damn in my title uh, counts as explicit. Yes. So please let us know what's going on with that. Okay. Lettuce is good. Kale is good. <laughs> uh, so what happened was the experience um, was so amazing and so completely different that I thought, oh, wow, if more people knew that vegans do it better, and I really believe this for the most part. It's not a guarantee, okay? And I don't mean to shame anybody who has ED. I've been accused of that. Uh, but we have to talk about these issues. And it's all about blood flow. And that's why it was different. I was feeling more from my partner. And it also works in reverse for women. So, uh, and we get in, and Dr. Khan gets into the medical and scientific and, and also the research part of this equation too, because there are tons of studies showing that we smell better in different parts of our body because we don't have uh, putrefying carcasses mm. being emitted from our pores. So there's that. So I started writing the book and then Joel and I were both speakers at the Southwest Florida Veg Fest and he came out of his car. It was pouring rain like it is today here. And he, he said, I got to show you this t-shirt because I told him I was writing this book called Vegan Sex and the shirt said vegan is sexy. And that shirt is still for sale by, um, it said vegan is the new sexy. That's what it said. And it's still for sale by different vendors. And so I said, would you like to partner with me? And he said, sure. So we had approached, I had approached my publisher and he said, if you can find a doctor to co-write it with, you will consider it. But even when I got Joel, they said, nah, um, you know, we don't think sex will really sell. What? What? Can you imagine that? Record <laughs> <What>? scratch? <laughs> <laughs> So it only took me being at two veg fests where the book, and you know, he allowed me to bring our self-published books uh, to the veg fest that he was paying me to be at. And of course, as you might imagine, that book just sold out like earlier, early in the day. And he, so after two veg fests like that, he said, can we buy the rights to it? And so they did. So that's kind of how that love story came together. And mm -hmm. we have also, we partnered with uh, Beverly Lynn Bennett, who developed a hundred vegan aphrodisiac recipes in the book. And there are certain foods that help increase blood flow, like, um, you know, garlic and uh, different hot peppers, you know, things like that. It's all about heart. What's good for the heart is good for other parts. And the reason that is true is because in the lower part of the body, the blood vessels, the arteries are much thinner and smaller than they are, uh, and they get clogged up much sooner before you have that death-defying heart attack in the upper part of your body where the arteries are bigger and wider. Mm -hmm. And in your experience, what about like what age range do, uh, do men typically experience uh, the first signs of, you know, this, this sort of failure? Um, well, in my experience, um, so we're talking 20s. Wow. And erect function is, they used to say canary in the coal mine, but if you Google what happens to get canaries in coal mines, it is not very humane. So I like to, I simply, I make people aware of that because I know Colleen Patrick Gaudreau does a whole one hour session on changing your vocabulary. So I just throw that out. But basically it's the leading indicator of um, heart disease by 10, 20, sometimes 30 years. 
So it really is an early indicator of what's going on with the heart. So this is really, I mean, obviously we know sex sells, but this is really um, such important information that, I mean, all men and women need to know about, you know, from a younger age than they really think. And I think that is such an amazing uh, way to position it. Now, have you ever been accused of using sex just to sell the book? Oh, totally, totally. But that is really not the issue. And I was just driven by my own experience. And it continues to this day. I have seen 70-year-old men get off of Viagra. Um, so if you change your diet, it's never too late. And there's even a book out there, It's Never Too Late to Go Vegan. It was written by three women, you know, from their perspective. But it works um, quite well for men. And it, it truly is something when you have experienced this journey. And if more people knew that, uh, I think they would get over whatever. I mean, I've been accused of everything, but, um, and, and that has been one of them, but certainly it was just about trying to get the word out there that what is really good for the heart is good for other parts. Cause it's, you know, our heart is not disconnected from the rest of our vascular system. And there's so many studies out there too, talking about the heart and, you know, it just stands to reason that if it's good for the heart, it's going to increase and help blood flow everywhere in your body. And there are other studies about depression. Vegans have less depression. Um, and if sex is 95% between the ears, as I like to say, if you're on the same page about why you are vegan, whatever the reasons are, you are on the same sexual uh, wavelength as well. So it just makes you feel better about each other. As I like to say, you agree about how to spend money three times a day on food. Mm -hmm. So if most couples fight over money, well, there you go. You know, you're in agreement with that. And of course, I totally believe, as I made the case in my first book, that vegan food is so much, can be so much cheaper than um, animal-based foods that, you know, why wouldn't you want to go this route? And whatever money you save, if, if you don't need it, donate it to one of the many nonprofits that are out there promoting the vegan message. Fantastic. And uh, since you mentioned your, your book, Eat Vegan on $4 a day. I know that there's a, a story behind your motivation for writing that book in the first place. Tell us about that. Well, I got so tired of seeing stories on the news that said you can't eat well on a budget or you can't eat well on food stamps. And I had already been doing this for the better part of 30 years. And I thought, you know, if somebody could just crunch the numbers, then that would be wonderful to be able to show how easy and simple it is. I've even had somebody... There's a guy who was uh, a monk at a monastery who came up to me and he said, you know, I'm the institutional buyer of food and we do it for $1 a day. So, you know, the, the main thing people ask me, well, how do you do it? And it's just real simple. You buy in bulk and cook from scratch. Mm -hmm. And people go, ooh, I don't have time to cook from scratch. And I go, ooh, I don't have time for diabetes, heart disease, and cancer. Those are real time wasters. Yeah, for sure. And I know that you mentioned something about, uh, and I, I think I heard this from another episode that I was listening to on a podcast, you can actually teach people uh, how to eat very inexpensively by using something like Walmart. Everybody has access to Walmart, right? So for the, for the budget-friendly um, or the budget-conscious folks out there, what can they expect to see at Walmart that makes it so easy to eat very inexpensively? Well, the big key, and again, people say, ew, are you promoting Walmart? And I go, ew, if you live below the poverty level of 
$19,000 a year for a family of four, you're already shopping at Walmart. And you're right. I wanted to use a store that everybody had in their community so I wouldn't get any excusatory and saying, oh, we can't buy it in our city. So Walmart sometimes has this 20-pound bag of dried pinto beans. And for whatever reason, pinto beans are just like fractions of a penny cheaper than the other beans, although the other dried beans are quite cheap as well. But I use those as my guide and as my base. And so the price of beans, and I still check these from time to time, so a nickel an ounce, um, and you have to check the unit price to find that, so a nickel an ounce for those 20-pound bags. So that translates into 10 cents a serving because two ounces of dried beans cooks up into four ounces uh, cooked, and that is, um, that is one serving. So it's a dime for a serving of beans. You compare that, and I do this in my slideshows all over the country. I go out and take pictures at the time of whatever the price of hamburger meat is uh, with pink slime, or um, you know, even beef tenderloin is like a dollar twelve, a dollar eighteen cents an or dollar dollar eighteen an ounce. And um, when you multiply that, especially for larger four eight ounce servings, you know, it just doesn't even compare with the price of beans. So. Beans are incredibly cheap. Grains are maybe twice as much money, you know, a dime for an ounce, so 20 cents a serving uh, if you're buying rice, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. I, as a consumer investigative reporter, I was very familiar with the consumer price index. I knew the price of foods, and that's why I was so passionate to get this out there. It took me a long time. Nobody had ever done it when I started doing it, and it took me a year to do all the research, get all the prices together, and then I actually had an agent who thought it was the best uh, best money-making idea she had ever heard of in terms of a book. But because I was a first-time author, even though I had 18 years in TV news and all this stuff, uh, you know, the, the publishers just really didn't care. Mm. Um, they wanted somebody who had a track record in social media, uh, and that's really when I started ramping up my social media at that point because I realized I wasn't going to get any kind of contract unless I had, like, you know, thousands of friends on Facebook at the time, which was just kind of starting up and getting going at that point in time on a really big scale. And then, you know, in those days, 20,000 people really could see a post versus now you're lucky if you get 20. Right. And it's uh, always a challenge to figure out how to get the message out there. But yeah. I totally feel your pain uh, there too, just because social media just seems to keep changing. And, you know, we, we want to be able to keep the message in front of as many people that are open to it as possible. So do you have a regular routine that you follow? Well, I finally hired a virtual assistant. I probably should have done that sooner, but you know, it's expensive. And most of us out there are doing this as a labor of love and not for raking in huge amounts of money. You know, I have three daughters, so this is really my legacy to them because, you know, at some point they're going to say, wait, what is this planet you gave us? And what were you doing to stop? the mayhem that you know, I'm sure their generation is really going to be faced with. So, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get the message out there and just show people they're going to, there are many different options that, that they can, can choose to try and be healthy and, and save money at the same time. Yeah. Do you think that just among your network, are there other concerned parents, you know, mothers, fathers, grandparents that are just as concerned about the legacy that they leave behind and, and, the, and the future of the planet that they're leaving for, for their families? You know, I think so. I just uh, got back from being a speaker. I gave four talks at Vegan Summerfest, which is known as 
Sorry, that's my, that's my dog lady. She just had yeah. to get her few yeah. words in. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so Vegan Summerfest is otherwise known as summer camp for vegans. And it's wonderful food. And they have um, T. Colin Campbell was a speaker. Michael Greger was a speaker. Dr. Brooke Goldner uh, also was there. And you know, so I was very humbled to be, I don't know, one of 50 or 60 speakers at that event. It's a very scenic, almost uh, they take over a university in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And it was you know, quite, quite scenic and, you know, it's just a, a nice getaway, but you also get to be enlightened too. And so, um, you know, somebody recommended, I read this book called, um, beyond, uh, beyond hope. And I've started reading it actually this morning. It's not going to be a happy read and probably the most depressing book I will ever read. And the point of the author is that it's too late and we just have to figure out how we deal with the time that we have left. And um, she speaks more from an animal rights perspective, but um, it just gets into some of these environmental issues that we've been hearing about. And as everybody's kind of throwing up their arms and not enforcing what few environmental regulations we did have, it is kind of a, a depressing scenario, especially with the amount of plastic in the oceans. I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole, right. but... Um, you know, if the oceans go, we go. And here in the Tampa Bay area, Sea Shepherd was the main speaker um, at our VegFest last year. And, you know, they are certainly on the front lines of this war trying to get countries to understand how important it is that wildlife in the oceans, just because you can't see them, need to survive for our survival. And if we're choking them with plastic and you know, getting rid of the straws isn't going to be enough. Um, you know, I fully intend to work until my dying days or are already promoting the message out there just in the off chance that we can at least live a little bit longer and certainly live a better quality of life because for that's what I've seen in my family. And one of the reasons I was attracted to the health part of this is that we don't need to experience all this excruciating pain and suffering. Entire generations are losing each other and don't even know it. My mom and dad were so sick and diseased by the time I had children, they couldn't uh, lift them, let alone babysit them. So right. that's what we're looking at. And, you know, you, in answer to one of your questions earlier, uh, a little more depth to it is that heart disease, they've determined in studies, starts in childhood. Uh, Vietnam vets um, who had autopsies done found that their arteries were just incredibly clogged. In, in their young 20s. So this is something we really do have to kind of nip in the bud early. And the various dietetic associations out there have said that a vegan diet is healthy in all life stages, including pregnancy, uh, breastfeeding, toddlerhood, and certainly old age and everything in between. Absolutely. And that is so well said, too. I know that you give your talks on busting vegan myths. So I'm very curious to hear, like, what's the question that you hear most that you love to bust? Well, I know this is like just everybody's tired of hearing it, but I still get where do you get your protein? Mm. And, you know, the, the way I do it, and hopefully it's in person, but I will, uh, and again, I know your your listeners can't see this, but I will flex my biceps and... I'll go, does it look like I have a protein deficiency? 
And then I'll say, do you know anybody who's been diagnosed with a protein deficiency? And they'll usually say no. And sometimes I just do this with the whole audience as well. And then I'll say, do you know anybody who has breast cancer or, or cancer, heart disease, diabetes? And, you know, everybody raises their hand. And I said, that's really where we should be stressing out. And, and certainly the way to avoid that is eating a plant-based diet that's full of fiber. And we ought to be counting our grams of fiber and not our grams of protein because even the tiniest vegetable has a little bit of protein and the largest animals on the planet get their protein from plants. Or the other favorite comeback is I get my protein where your protein gets its protein. <laughs> Fantastic. But, um, you know, Ellen, aren't humans designed to eat meat? Well, there's a wonderful website called Vegan Street, veganstreet.com. They're all over Facebook, and they have a couple of memes about that. They must have hundreds of maybe six or 700 memes by now that they do all for free that you can use. Just uh, give them credit for it. But they have one that compares the smiles of various animals, including our closely related canine friends like dogs and foxes and you know, Basically, we have the smallest canines on the planet. So our teeth are very much designed to grind food like fruits and vegetables and not tear apart. You know, when was the last time you rode down the street in your car and went, oh, roadkill, let's stop and eat it. <laughs> Most of the time we're turning our eyes away. <laughs> right. And, you know, if you look at the way kids are reacting, I remember one time I love to run on the beach here uh, when there's no red tide. And... Uh, one time I was running along, as I often would see on Anna Maria Island out here, and there was a father fishing off in the Gulf. He was just standing at the shoreline with his fishing line out into the Gulf. And uh, a little child, about four or five, was standing next to him. And the father had just caught a fish on a hook. And the child was like cringing and kind of backing away from it. And as I ran by it, I made sure I was running very fast. I said to the child, not very humane, is it? And I just kept running. <laughs> so, Planting the seed and then running away. Love it. <laughs> right. Just, you know, enforcing, you know, that, that initial gut reaction that this poor child had and would probably, had I not maybe planted that seed, and who knows if it's stuck at all, but, you know, I'm sure he will be very conditioned. To, to just believe that fishing is normal and natural and, and is how we are supposed to live. But, you know, there's already uh, my favorite don't eat fish study uh, of recent times is that uh, the study shows that the plastic, the microplastics, were, which were in all kinds of cosmetics and other sources, is not only in the organs of the fish, but it's now in their tissue. So if you're eating fish, you're eating plastic. Mm -hmm and cholesterol and saturated fat and, you know, all that stuff that's not so good. Now, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned humane. So what about humane raising and using of animals? What's your answer to that one? A dead animal is still a dead animal, especially to a vegan. It doesn't matter what kind of a charmed fairy life it had before it was killed. We are exploiting an animal for human use, and we don't need to do that. And if you look at some of the investigative stories and pictures that are out there, there's really not a whole lot of difference. In fact, there's no difference in some of the, the chickens, the chicken farms, where the chickens are so cooped together, and you know, they're walking around in their own excrement, and you know, they've been given hormones that make them too heavy, hardly to stand on their own weight. And it's just, it's just very sad. Um, so the difference between humane, you know, what gets them that label is that they may have a little bit more space, but 
you know, it's basically the same facility for the most part. Because you just can't, when you think about it, and I fly a lot, so I see all of these facilities from the air, and they are really, really scary looking. I mean, they've just completely raped the land, and it's it's so sad. Uh, so we really need to readjust our thinking about what is going to be the best way to feed this planet of billions of people uh, going forward. And we have to go as low on the food chain as we can just to conserve what little land and water we have left for everybody. Sure. And then facing these realities, which of course, you know, are not, they're not pretty, um, they're not happy to talk about. So, you know, and I know with your journalism background, I mean, it's no surprise to you, we don't see this sort of thing in the news in the mainstream media at all. And we know that there's probably, you know, lobbying, um, you know, there's money involved and there's politics and all of that stuff. So what would you say just to give listeners that little beacon of hope. You know, I really do see moments of hope. And where I really see it is at the grocery store, quite frankly. You know, the plant-based drinks, uh, you know, because the dairy industry has sued Miyoko's Kitchen to stop using the word milk and butter. It's like, okay, are we going to stop using nut butters? And it's just just kind of comical to see, but I feel sorry for Miyoko because it's she has this wonderful product of vegan cheeses and butters out there, and I'm humbled that she was a, uh, an author with my publisher. She wrote the book called Artists and Vegan Cheese, and from that moment, people said, oh, who has time to cook? Can you make them? So you know, for her, she got money involved and was able to mass produce these wonderful vegan alternatives that are out there. So that's the thing. The dairy industry in particular is getting very nervous about all of that, and you can see the real estate from the plant-based milks and I'm going to use the word milk, uh, encroaching on the cow's milk real estate at the grocery store. And when you think about it, you know, what are we drinking? We're mammary secretions from a cow that's designed to make a cow grow from a very tiny uh, spit of an animal in just a few months to a ginormous beast, practically. So there's also research that shows that IGF insulin growth factor one is related to tumors that grow fast as well. So if you're trying to avoid prostate cancer, breast cancer, getting rid of dairy is probably the first thing that you should do. So it's just important to know that what you do, you get to vote with your wallet three times a day. I guess we can end on that. That's a very powerful motivator, I think. And certainly you will feel better at the end of the day, hopefully with your vegan partner. Um, and, in many ways, uh, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. All the feels. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So as, as we come to a close, Ellen, tell us a little bit about what's coming up with you. So one of the things I've developed is a fitness without tears or fitness without tears, however you want to pronounce that word, online program. If somebody want, is wanting to start up their uh, fitness program, you can go there, and it's a, it's a um, 28-day program, $28.00. It gives you everything you know, uh, might want to know to start on a fitness program. That's, that's really um, ongoing, and you can jump into that at any point in time. I've got a lot of VegFest coming up, Knoxville, Chicago Veggie Fest. That is, I believe, the largest vegan veggie fest of its kind in North America. They have like 40,000 people, and this will be, I think, the fourth year I've done this. Um, it's one thing that my publisher gets me into. So that's been great. Um, and let's see, just different. Um, I'll be doing the South Florida Veg Fest. That's coming up. I think it's in October. And I have a newsletter. You can go on my website, vegcoach.com, 
and I send out updates on where I will be speaking. So people want to know specifically, they can find that out and, you know, resources in the newsletter as well. Fantastic. And are you actively taking on clients for uh, coaching as well? Oh, absolutely. And I do most of my coaching online just because uh, of my schedule. I can really, um, you know, working at a gym, which I've done and it's been very educational, but it's hard to stick to a planned schedule when you're traveling a lot. So this way on my website, there's actually this wonderful app that's tied into it called Calendly. So you can just go on the website and schedule an appointment. And um, often I'll just do like 30 minutes with somebody to see what we can do together and uh, if it's a good fit because, you know, I'm not going to be teaching somebody how to do seven marathons in seven continents in seven days. It just, that's not who I am. My thing is really to finish without injury and to hopefully create people who love to exercise or at least tolerate it uh, for their own good (laughs) and are successful at it into their 60s, 70s, and 80s and and beyond if they want to. So um, that is um, one thing, you know, people can go on the VegCoach website and, and schedule that. And what's cool because of the technology, I can be like a personal trainer in your living room and going through everything I would as if I were working at a gym, but you don't have to go to the gym. You don't have to pay the gym membership. So it's a lot cheaper to do it that way and to be scheduled at your own convenience. That is such a valuable resource that you provide. That's awesome. So Ellen, are there any um, parting words that you would like to share for listeners? Um, Just one other thing about the exercise thing, if you are doing it, I feel like I I need to say this. Um, It's really important to do a nice dynamic warm-up before you exercise, whether it's swimming, biking, or especially running, because that really prepares the muscles to be ready for whatever exercise you're going to be doing. And then a nice cool down, that's what I think has kept me, for the most part, injury-free over 40 years of running. That on a plant-based diet, because as I like to say, go plants! Yes, go plants. Ellen, you are amazing. You are a force of nature. You're so inspiring. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. That was Ellen Jaffe-Jones, author of Eat Vegan on $4 a Day and Vegan Sex, and with 40 years of experience running on plants. Be sure to visit her website, vegcoach.com, to learn more about her Fitness Without Tears program. And if you want Ellen to be your personal trainer and join you in your living room by leveraging the power of technology, rather than paying for a gym membership to see a trainer, Schedule a coaching session with her at her website, vegcoach.com, and be sure to tell her that you heard it here on the Eating Like You Give a Damn podcast. If you haven't joined our community of rebels in the Eating Like You Give a Damn Facebook group for recipes and support, I'm not really sure what you're waiting for because you're really missing out. And that means that we're missing out on your ideas and your questions and your unique perspective too. So request to join us at eatinglikeyougiveadam.com forward slash group. That's all for today. Thank you so much for leaving your awesomely positive reviews in Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and share the show on social media so your people know that we're here with all of our happy, healthy vibes and such. I really appreciate your support. Until next time, veg on, rebels.